Hello and welcome to Baker Street, a podcast about books, movies, series and everything in between. My name is Dulce and I'm going to be your host. On this episode I talk about unpopular opinions and my thoughts on the Essex Serpent. So you hear about how fantastic a book it is. The hype for the book is so great that got your attention. First you mark it as wanted to read, then the temptation is so strong that you can wait any longer. You buy the book in whichever format you please. And then the hard realities slap you in the face. You start reading the book and for some reason it's not working its magic on you. But still you continue reading. Maybe the book starts a little slow. Maybe if you continue things are going to be more intricate. The twist of the story is going to surround you and you are going to reach the point in which you can put it down. And then the point never gets. You look the book with a different light. Maybe you are wrong. Certainly there must be something wrong with you. A few hours pass, maybe even days, but then it's there. The disappointment can be content any longer and you have to talk about the book. You are against the current. Your opinion is different from the rest. And what's even more, you there to hate that well-loved book. So now your thoughts about the book are part of the well call it unpopular opinion. And let me tell you something, there's nothing wrong with you. The first thing that I noticed while watching videos about unpopular opinion was the fact that people tend to apologize for not liking a very popular book, me included. But why should I feel sorry for not liking the book everybody apparently loves? Well, to be honest, a situation like that presented to me a few weeks ago when I read the so acclaimed The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry. Between the things that I hear about the book was how well done was the writing, how exquisite, and then I check, just out of curiosity, some of the reviews which of course were spoilers free. Exquisite work of historical fiction, one said. You know it was a good one when you're left almost feeling like you might never be able to read another book again. I could certainly understand the feeling. So of course I was intrigued. I felt a necessity to get my hands on the book. I was even considering get the hardback edition because the, that cover was so damn beautiful. And believe me when I said that I'm absolutely scared of snakes, but I give a damn. Good thing was that Amazon wasn't on my side the book was not available, and I had to set with the Kindle edition. Here's a description of the book, because I think everything comes to this, how misleading the description can be. It says, when Cora Seaborn's husband dies, she steps into her new life as a widow with as much relief as sadness. Her marriage was not a happy one, and she never suited the role of society wife. Accompanied by her son Francis, a curious obsessive boy, she lives down for Essex, where she hopes fresh air and her open space will provide the refuge that they needed. When they take lodgings in Colchester, rumors reach them from farther up the story that the mythical Essex serpent once said to roam the marshes claiming human lives has returned to the coastal parish of Alwinter, Cora. Keen amateur naturalist 
with no patience for religion or superstition, is immediately entrailed, convinced that what the local people think is a magical beast may be a previously undiscovered species. As she sets out on its trail, she is introduced to William Ransom, all winter's beaker. Like Cora, Will is deeply suspicious of the rumors, but he thinks they are founded on moral panic, a flight from real fate. As he tries to calm his parishioners, he and Cora strike up an intense relationship, and although they agree on absolutely nothing, they find themselves inexorably drawn together and torn apart, eventually changing each other's lives in ways entirely unexpected. Told with exquisite grace and intelligence, this novel is most of all a celebration of love and the many different guises it can take. So as you can imagine, I was preparing myself for an epic love story. And it was not like I'm not into romance, because from time to time I am. The setting was perfect, and the fact that Cora was considered an amateur and naturalist intrigued me. For some reason I was hoping that she was going to make the greatest discover of her life that the Essex serpent was more than a meat, while she found the love that she deserved. But what could be a great story became a typical love triangle, so cliché. Because apparently the description forgot a tiny detail about Will Ransom, the biker, and that detail comes with the names of John, James and Joanna, Will's kids, or Stella, his beautiful wife. So my epic romance was crushed by an infidelity story, the so much used forbidden love in which the main character use as many excuses as they can to justify their actions. Infidelity is infidelity, period, and that's exactly the part in which the book lost my interest. One of the excuses was the fact that Stella was sick and Will has been pushed away from her side as if using the sickness of a beloved one justify the fact that Bo cheated on her. Because Stella was not only the wife, but was the one who offered her friendship to the newcomer. And probably I could let all the infidelity aspect pass if it wasn't for the fact that I disliked Cora so much for her selfishness. So she finally was free of a terrible marriage in which her husband was apparently a sadist. She was young, and even when she was not the typical beauty, she could be intriguing. Does she deserve a second chance? Of course she does. But the problem was that she was a collector. She wanted all the attention for her. She wanted Will, but also wanted Stella's friendship. She wanted Martha the maid to always be with her. And even she needed Luke Garrett, a young doctor who was in love with her. And she knew or kind of knew about his feelings for her, but she never did a thing to clarify hers for him. What brought us to the part that irritated me the most about Cora, Cora's son. In the description was said that he was a curious and obsessive boy, but certainly there was more about this kid than simple curiosity or obsession. Francis' strangeness was more complex and Cora has no time or interest for him. For her, finding fossils and have her own discovery in the museum was more important than anything else, including her own child, who sometimes scared her. While I'm not going to deny the fact that the setting was interesting and most of the characters were intriguing, the plot itself didn't deliver. And the fact that our poor main characters became martyrs for the fact that they can live their love fully 
got to my nerves. Because if you already read the book and love Cora, you can deny that an obscure thought crossed your mind related with Stella. You want her out of the way so Will could be free to be with Cora. It's not my case because, because like I mentioned it before, I dislike Cora as much as I loved Stella and Francis. And that's saying much because both were what made me continue to reading the book, even when at some parts I wanted to quit. The celebration of different type of loves. Well, if you could refer to that as love, well, certainly Stella loved her family, even forgave her husband. She showed motherly love for Francis when his mother didn't have time for him. She even loved Cora, so Stella was the celebration of love she represented, but friendship was empty and superficial, people were manipulative and dishonest. And last but not least, the use, the use of the serpent as a representation of sin, Adam and Eva all over again portraying the temptation, the village itself in total hysteria, when the main sinners couldn't see clearly what was going on, for me was a little too much. I didn't like the book, even when I really wanted to love it. But before we end this episode, let me share with you my favorite quote, and it comes to no surprise that it is from Francis. He said after his father dies, If I wanted to cry, I will. If I wanted to do anything, I will. Baker Street Podcast was produced by me, Dulce Marie. If you have any question or just want to say hi, please send an email at thebakerstreetpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you like the podcast and have a few minutes, please consider leave a review or rating on iTunes. That will help me a lot. Thanks for listening. Until the next episode.